podcast ain't played nobody. Do you have any issues with me referring to you as my quant? <laughs> well, I'm about to go to Sloan, uh, the Sloan conference here in a few weeks where everybody's going to be calling each other quant. So, you know, that's fine. It'll get me used to it. The Sloan conference is probably the great 90s sitcom for this podcast in that you have to um, somehow the Sloan conference becomes like a permanent think tank, but I have to come with you as like your roommate or cousin. And I'm just the comedic relief idiot. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> well, that, that's fine. I, you know, I, I don't want to build this up. As the, something love me. The, the stat dudes love me, which is bizarre because I don't like, I don't, I guess maybe it's just cause I'm nice to them. That's what it is. I, yeah, at this point, you may have been on Wharton Moneyball more than me. They do love me, which is funny because all I ever do when I go on Wharton Moneyball, what channel is that on SiriusXM so we can plug it for people? I love those guys. Um, I don't know. It's on one of the serious channels. But basically, like, that yeah, show look it up. Look it up. That show is dedicated to, like, Moneyball, advanced stat, number, smart things. And they bring me on there, and then every other sentence I say is like, well, you know, my partner, my podcast partner, Bill Connolly, or the S&P Plus, like, if you look at – I mean, I'm just li- – like, at this point – you're doing the homework <laughs> hastily and then just handing like like you're doing the algebra three homework for me because I'm too stupid to get into the calculus class. That actually happened at some point in high school. I didn't want to do pre-calculus because I knew it was too much work. So I took algebra three and you're just doing that homework and just be like, here, just go up there and say this. It's also channel how 111. Channel 111 what? on Sirius XM channel 111. I met my wife in a Spanish class where she wrote everything down in flashcards in phonetics because I didn't know any Spanish and it was an immersion class. That's how I graduated college. This is podcast ain't played nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. He's Bill Connolly at SB Nation. Nope, at SBN underscore Bill C. He works for the SMBNations.coms. Um, he does, oh, you name it. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system. He writes a lot of bloggy stuff. I've essentially been doing nothing since Halloween. Stop asking me about it. I can't say anything yet. Uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey. I'm a senior reporter sometimes. I'm not really. Um, Bill? Yep. Uh, we just got to dispense with this this award-winning repartee and get straight to a very loaded show. Yeah, I mean, it's it's mid-January. We have so much to talk about in the world of college No, football. I'm not kidding. This show is slammed right now. Yeah. All right. And by, and by the way, I don't know what we're going to get to today, but uh, he mentioned it at the end of last week's episode – you know, if you got questions for us during the week, do the hashtag ask PAPN thing. Yeah, that has paid off beautifully. Well. Yeah. We've gotten some really cool questions that we really want to tackle over the off season. And a really lazy way for me to pull them up. So I appreciate you guys cutting corners for me. Um, all right, Bill, we'll do questions at the end as, as we sort of traditionally hammer out in the format. However, I have the following for you to select from. We have four topics, all of which could take a long time before we even get to questions. We have we have to finish the top 100 games countdown. We stopped at number 41 last week. This is, mm-hmm. by the way, now the entire 100. You can spoil this for yourself if you would like, or listen, or read along as we as we pontificate. Whatever, it's all up at espionation.com right now. Uh, so we have to get through numbers 40 to one on the top 100 games of the 2017-18 season. Um, Jason Kirk, our college football editor, I think he did it by himself, right? Yeah, the 12 worst games of 2017. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think he took suggestions at some point, but yeah. Okay. Uh, we have a countdown of the 12 worst games of 2017, which I think are deserving. And of course, I immediately look at the, I open the email. You should all subscribe to the read option SB Nation newsletter, by the way. Um, 
I opened the email uh, two days ago when I woke up, and I was like, I've seen probably, I, I think I've seen more of the top 12 worst games than I did of the top 10 best <laughs> games, such as life. Um, and then we also have two conferences that finally got off their asses and decided to hand us a 2018 schedule, way late, I might add. Like later than I turn in expense reports at work. It's absolutely unacceptable that the ACC still has like, or they just got theirs in. Right, but they're they're still ahead because now, I mean now that they're they put theirs out, Conference USA with their minimal ESPN ties was able to put theirs together pretty quickly, and then the other three still have, or the other four uh, mid major conferences still are left out there, and it's going to be a little while for Sun Belt. I got confirmation from a communications person at Sun Belt that uh, when I start my Sun Belt previews here in a couple of weeks, there will yeah. not be a finalized schedule, but we know oh, who's playing whom. What? And, yeah, no, they're never they're never out. I think they said March first is when, per ESPN or because of a deal why? with ESPN, that's when they're gonna. I don't know. I mean, I know why they're last. They're last because you've got to figure out all the scheduling uh, and layout for the power conferences, and then you know the G five just kind of swoops in and cleans up what's well, left. Let me, let me argue that real fast. What in the hell does it affect the Sun Belt schedule that you're still tinkering with the ACC? Because guess what? Big shock here. They're not going to put Clemson, Florida State on a Wednesday night on ESPN U. Okay, well, during the week, yeah. But I'm assuming it has something to do with. Um, well, I don't know. Among other things, you know, the non-conference no, no, games no. being distributed like throughout that. the year. Yeah, I, I don't like I, it. This that's, is the way it is, though. I, that I, is I, certified I, assy. I don't like that at all. All right, yeah. Bill, let's start with schedule since we're already meandering down that path. You want to do okay. QSA or ACC? What feels sexy? <laughs> well, this is PAPN, so let's lead with QSA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, conference USA schedule. Have One, have you looked? Uh, I, just enough to write them down in my, uh, in my preview <laughs> template, yes. Okay, um, it's because the CUSA suffers the most from a lack of inherent identity. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say, oh, they did a good job, or or they did a yeah. bad job, or yeah. they're also at the mercy of a mixture of so many different television partners now. At this point, with the essentially revenueless agreement that they have with <laughs> Facebook as a means to promote their conference, they have that. They have a ESPN deal. They have the BN Sports deal. They and I they have a portion of the. Um, CBS Sports Network deal. So it's kind of a mash. So probably the best way to look at this, I mean, we can talk about the best teams in the conference. Like we can talk about FAU and sort of what kind of exposure they get. But for the most part, what I want to do is this. Let's just look at maybe some non-conference highlights and then what they're going to offer us on the weeknights because the the average consumer is going to experience the CUSA most likely in that environment. Right. Okay. Sure. Uh, Saturday, August 25th. I guess Rice just got used to playing in Australia. Yeah. So they're, they're going to kick off the season a week early by hosting Prairie View A&M at home. Um, I guess if you're just randomly, if you're bored and it's hot in Houston because it's going to be, but you want to go to a football game on a week before you go and maybe see like your Aggies or your Longhorns or whatever, maybe you go to this game. I don't know. <clears throat> sure. Yeah, it's there. I mean, no, it's good on, look, good on Rice. They're doing something different. I'm fine with that. Um, the start of Labor Day weekend – I'm not going to try and say this is like a sleeper game or anything like that to be to watch necessarily, but Western Kentucky going to Wisconsin, it's you know Friday night of Labor Day weekend. You definitely kind of flip by and check that out, right? Possibly. Um, A lot of sacrificial lamb games. Obviously, it's week one. Um, FAU goes to Oklahoma. Um, That's just going to be fun. That's not a sacrificial lamb game. It's just going to be kind of. I love FAU's schedule, but we'll get to that. I I mean, this is exactly what you hope for after a big, when you have a big breakthrough year and then you return just about everybody, you want FAU's schedule uh, the next year. 
Uh, smart of Indiana to go to FIU. I know it's not a big money making contract for them, but it get it lets Tom Allen, who's been an assistant in Florida before, um, go back. He was a defensive coordinator for Taggart at USF. It lets him go back into Miami and and show off the show off Indiana. That's a, I like that's that's a smart move. More schools should f- figure out ways to do that. Um, Middle Tennessee at Vanderbilt. That's also very smart for Middle Tennessee to continue on with that and do as much of that as possible. Yeah. Houston at Rice. Um, you know, whatever UTSA opens at Arizona state. If Frank Wilson wants to get right back on the job conversation, he can win that game, which I think is a winnable game for them without looking at their roster just yet. Yeah. I have a word about their roster, but go ahead. Well, I, like I said, I haven't looked at their roster. I just think that like, who knows what we're, who knows what football flavored product we're going to get there at Arizona state, <laughs> especially game one. Uh, um, we could have, have, have a weekly segment at this point, by the way, of things that that uh, confuse Herm Edwards about college football, and um, he, he appears to be in the, every time he does a national interview. I saw this in our Slack room earlier. He has a, a thing where he basically complains about <laughs> recruiting. He complains about a, a very common piece of the job, such as I keep having to call these kids, and it, he's trying to make it sound like a joke, but. Um, I don't think it is. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Uh, um, one thing that jumps out at me on uh, Saturday, September 8th, why is FAU constantly playing the academies? Why, why are you doing that to yourself, bro? Yeah, that's an interesting they host Air Force. there, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, that's not too smart. But uh, now we're, we're jumping ahead because they, they haven't really started the weeknight action yet. But, um, you know, again, a lot of paycheck games here. Western Kentucky goes to Louisville. That's going to be super interesting. A lot of connections with those programs. Mm-hmm. I, I know Brom's gone now, but still – um, just a lot of sacrifice games. MTSU at Georgia, UTEP at Tennessee. MTSU you know, plays three SEC teams. By the way, it's, you got to make the money because you're not going to get it any other way at Middle Tennessee State. <laughs> They've got issues. Um, best non-conference game so far that I could peg. Just if you're thinking from the CUSA outwards, is FAU at UCF on the yep. Saturday, September 22nd. Um, followed closely. This is not like a, a novel thing. LSU likes to rotate through all the state schools, um, but but lots of going down to LSU. It's always very important for that program. I mean, I'm, I'm not giving them like I'm not saying it's an upset watch or anything like that. I'm just saying it's it's smart that they do that. Yes. If you're FIU, does it make sense to play at Miami to even have that deal? I say no. It allows us to to recall their brawl from a, however right. many years ago that was. But aside from that, I don't really know. I mean, it's another game in the area, which yeah. is fine. But you play a lot of those, so I don't know. It's not it's not terrible by any means. I don't know what they get out of it though. Yeah, so saying, I kind of think it's a little weird. Um, uh, we're scooting right along. By the way, there are so far. I there are no weeknight games listed here. I don't know if that's a condition of the contract, but we're look, sort of looking at this in real time. Everything that they have listed at the FBS schedules is, is all contained to Saturday. So I guess that means that they are not getting any weeknight games from CBS this year. Or maybe they haven't. And they haven't done a flex it. yet. It would be weird if they <clears throat> if they did it that way. Uh, if they went ahead and released their schedule and then later changed it, but I guess it's possible. We'll have to look into that. Um, obviously, we do an immense amount of prep for the show, which means not really much. But um, I want to say that I I know for a fact that there's the, the CBS Sports contract is still going with them, and they flex them into Thursdays and Fridays. So my assumption is it's just not announced yet. But that just seems weird to me because. Like otherwise, understand how 
you would tell the schools to get, you know, coaches hate moving games, hate it, hate it. Right. Yes. I mean, yes. like that, that yes. was the God, remember the LSU Florida hurricane battle, like the idea that you're going to get this schedule, but then you're going to find out when you have a short week and when you have a long week later. I don't know. I have a tough time buying that. That's really strange. Um, yeah. Scooting right along is it is an immense amount of sacrifice games. Even now, as you stretch into, um, into October, as you, they get into conference play, this is just a sign of of what the CUSA has to deal with right now, and they're just not providing enough revenue for their for their member institutions. I've seen like Tennessee, George. I've se- I think I've seen almost every university in the Southeastern Conference at some point, and we're not even halfway through. Or like I'm I'm up to November third now. I've seen Tennessee. I think for a third time. Uh, yeah. That- uh, so here, and while you were while you've been talking, I've been compiling a list of the the P five games, and I, I I probably missed one along the way. But here's what we're looking at: um, FAU aside, because again, FAU's schedule is awesome, um, and they get to prove themselves entirely. You got at Oklahoma two weeks later or three weeks later. You have uh, UCF coming to. to uh, no, no, no. They're going to UCF, but w- regardless, so th- they're good. But then also in week one, you've got Western Kentucky at Wisconsin, Indiana at FIU, MTSU at Vandy, UTSA at Arizona State. If they go, we'll say, I mean, it, it, one and four would be okay, but if they go two and three there, they've got to be feeling reasonably good about themselves. There are at least a couple winnable games in there. Uh, week two, they basically only have Baylor at UTSA, which, you know, <laughs> two in a row for UTSA is what they're going to be aiming for. Uh, week three you've got marshall at south carolina mtsu at georgia western week three is the body bag week Mm -hmm. western kentucky at louisville smu at arkansas utep at tennessee and utsa at kansas state um you go one and five there you're feeling reasonably okay about yourself uh the next week you've got fau ucf you fiu miami nc state at marshall nc state is legally required to both play and lose a game to a nearby g5 team so you know good for marshall uh virginia yeah, Virginia Tech at ODU and Louisiana Tech at LSU. Um, yeah, one and four at best there. Uh, then you've got Rice at Wake and Southern Miss at Auburn the next week. And then in uh, SoCon Saturday, you've got MTSU at Kentucky and UAB at AM. and uh, I mean, there were some win opportunities there. You win five or six of those games, you're feeling pretty good, but it really is a lot of a lot of road trips, a lot of unlikely wins. Um, we'll see. So for those of you who don't know, the QSIS plight is basically boiled down to the fact that they are not making enough money on television revenue to sustain their schools like they're going to get lapped soon by the other g5s and if you're looking for a conference just to simply sort of cease to be this is the one in five years that that might happen to unless they change their, their yeah they've their been open situation open yeah talking about like kind of mixing and matching with the Sun Belt and trying to yep. create a little more geographically continuous situation which I really encourage you really like like I've drawn up a couple times for this show like you could have a Texas Louisiana Arkansas schools conference you could have a Florida Georgia uh, South Carolina maybe all the way up into North Carolina Virginia if you wanted there are a lot of possibilities there uh, but they really did aim for market size yeah. um, at a time when market size might be meaning less than before and uh, oh yeah and and a lot of those programs were not even slightly up and running. Okay. And so, so with the exception of SoCon Saturday, though, and I'm glad you reminded me about SoCon Saturday, where you you probably are going to get tapped on the shoulder to be someone's paycheck game. That's fine. Like, that's a reality. I'm looking at November 24th, and I'm looking at November 10th. And even November 3rd, Bill, there are rivalries in this conference. I'm, I'm not going to joke yes. about that. There, there are some really good rivalries. There really are. Like the, the two that jump out of me, obviously, like naturally FAU, FIU makes a ton of sense. But I live in Nashville and both MTSU and Western 
recruit against each other aggressively all the way from like Southern Kentucky to North Alabama through the Nashville market, which then, and as far as like recruiting goes, Nashville gets, you know, it's not Atlanta or Houston, but it gets better and better and better every year. There's a real rivalry there. They like spray paint each other's stuff. And, you know, there's something that you can build from UAB and Southern Miss in a weird way. It kind of works as a rivalry because they have, (laughs) they have a long history together. Seriously. Um, there, you can go on with this. They're, there's potential here to do this. Like I know obviously Rice wants to beat Houston more than anybody. That's an out-of-conference game. They usually do it week one. But there's potential is what I'm trying to get at. And yet you look well, at the schedule and they don't create any kind of moment for the CUSA to have a rivalry week. It's all thrown to hell and back. Well, and I mean if you if you if you have like one a week and you televise it well, um, as well as you can, yeah. then that's fine. Um, why not put the rivalry games on a weeknight? Why not, why not go to CBS at this point and just say, all right, those games I just mentioned, Western middle, the directional Florida's like Southern Miss UAB. Let's hit those on Thursday or Friday nights in November. Right now it just seems, I, I can't make rhyme or reason of when they're, you know, everybody runs a rivalry game in the Southeastern conference of the ACC, um, and with the amount of crossover between those two conferences, they're mm-hmm. always really good about making it work in the last two weeks of the season, right? So like Florida, Florida State, Louisville, Kentucky, et cetera, so forth. But then you also have like they finally figured out to put Vandy, Tennessee last, you know, whereas they used to rotate some like Tennessee sometimes played Kentucky, but then they didn't have the Louisville contract. You could make this work. You really could. It, it just I don't know if they don't want to. I don't know if they can't. But when you're like if you hired me tomorrow to work for the CUSA, I would just sit down and try and work it like, let's find identity in a couple of places. Let's find something that you can recognize because this is the true gun to your head conference for any tailgate in the power five. I think, I think, I think eight out of 10 fans who are spending, just stay with me. I think eight out of 10 fans that you would go to a major power five tailgate, university of Washington, Wisconsin, um, Alabama, whatever, right? Florida State. And you said, name me, gun to your head, name me all the CUSA teams. They couldn't do it. I would say eight out of 10 couldn't for sure. Well, they couldn't for the Sun Belt either. Um, I think in the South, you would get closer to the Sun Belt. And I think more people would be able to name Sun Belt teams than they would be able to name CUSA teams because of the sheer in and out factor, because of the the nascent, the the new vibe program. Like, like I know Old Dominion existed before they moved up, but like Charlotte, like people are going to forget Charlotte. There's just a lot of identity issues that are inherent to this conference. Even the Sun Belt does a good job of this. The Sun Belt kicks up noise about specifically about like App State, Georgia Southern, ULL, ULM. Like they know how to sell that. Troy and USA, they have a freaking title belt and they put that on a weeknight game. <laughs> That's smart. That makes sense. I just don't understand why the CUSA doesn't do it. Um, by the way, uh, the one thing, uh, something I've, you know, it would feel weird if I didn't say um, how hiring can solve a lot of your problems. It bears mentioning that CUSA has made some good hires of late. Um, you know, with Butch, of course, with uh, Butch Davis and, and Lane Kiffin and uh, our, our boy Frank Wilson at UTSA. If if like if Rice, if that turns out to be a good hire, uh, well, Hobson at Southern Miss, they had uh, a good month this last year. Not not so much uh, the beginning or end, but a, a good month or so month Jay and a half. Was the best hire in Southern Miss history because he's a guy who might be there for a decade and be the next Jeff Bauer. <laughs> okay, um, boy, that's yeah. I was gonna say like Bauer might be the best hire to me, but yeah, you know, I mean he's got a chance. Um, 
but no, I mean, if you make good hires and then you play, then you have more big games to play and you're more likely to pull an upset here and there. And, and so if Western Kentucky kind of gets off the ground in Sanford's second year, they were kind of disappointing this last year, but if they do get somewhere, they've got, uh, you know, they have a chance to show off a little bit. They're not going to beat Wisconsin, but they've got a chance if they play well against Wisconsin or Louisville, that could yeah. resonate. And, and, you know, Marshall bounced back a little bit last year. If they continue to build further along and then you've got FAU with Kiffin, uh, who should, you know, won't be there very long. Long, but uh, they should be dynamite next year, a, a legitimate top 25 potential next year. If, if they handle expectations a little better than his USC teams did uh, spoiler, that's going to be wow. one of the major topics of my FAU preview. Um, but no, like Bill Clark at UAB, if these programs just improve, then you know, you look better and, and you play better and you get better uh, non-conference opportunities and so on and so forth. That'll solve a lot of your problems. But the bottom line is that, yeah, this conference and the Sun Belt, as currently constituted, both of them probably are going to have a lot of changes to make in the uh, in the coming decade. Enjoy it for what it is or ignore it for, for, you know, in the way that you have, this is not going to sustain a couple, just to, just past a couple more years. Just, just throwing that out there. Um, Bill, I want to read you some brags, some, some crafted in-house statistics from the ACC. And I want you to either shoot them down or rubber stamp them okay. and, and, and give me the affirmative. You ready? This was from the press release from the ACC touting their schedule. You ready? Mm-hmm. This is, so this is like all the good things about the ACC schedule for 2018 in football. ACC team's non-conference opponents had the highest combined winning percentage, 558, in 2017 of any of the Power 5 leagues. Okay. <laughs> all right. That sounds like you don't like that one. Well, I mean, it, ACC, I mean they play a lot, there are a lot of good games they, they have on the slate. There's no question. But that one, there's a lot of... There are a lot of openings in that phrasing, but sure. All right, we'll, we'll brace yourself for this one. ACC teams will play 13 non-con... Now, just before I even finish the sentence, they put this at the top of the press release bulleted, like, these are their brags. ACC teams will play 13 non-conference games against teams in the ESPN's two, 2018 way-too-early top 25, yeah. which is the most among their peers. So mark slayball threw out 25 teams that he likes and <laughs> that that was the gist of that okay I, I don't even need your input on that one that's just asinine um acc teams will play 27 games against non-conference opponents that participated in bowl games last season the highest total among power five conferences sure okay okay the ACC has the highest percentage, 232, of games against teams ranked in the final AP poll uh, of any of its peer conferences. Thoughts? Uh, my thought is just that this is why I don't read press releases. Um, yeah, but this is the kind of stuff, that, and, and I don't read them either, but this is the kind of stuff. You know why I'm reading this? And I'm not try- I'm really not trying to do media beef. is because I'm seeing this barfed up into other people's Twitter accounts and, and, <laughs> and stories. And so I always laugh and I work, you work backwards to find out where they get this stuff from. Um, Okay. So final AP poll of any of its peer conferences, ACC teams will play more games against non-conference teams, 13 ranked in last year's final AP 25 than any other power five conference. And then ACC teams will play more games, 19 against power five competition, including Notre Dame than any of their peers. That one I like. That one I'm sure. okay with. Okay, because sure. what that does is illustrate that the Notre Dame deal was smart to strengthen the ACC brand. It makes weird scheduling things happen, but they okay. were okay taking that that temporary L for the permanent win, and I like that because year after year the Notre Dame brand is going to be probably far far more than it should be um, a value add for those schedules and those resumes, right? 
Sure. So that, I like that. That that one I'm okay with. Basically, like, hey, y'all, we did this weird, like, one foot in the water deal with Notre Dame for a conference they don't have a ton of historical connection to, and it's paying off. So I'm okay with that one. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it was, I, I kind of, I was annoyed that they let uh, Notre Dame off the hook and Notre Dame was able to get its way, so to speak, um, in terms of, you know, not joining a conference and all that. But I mean, no, it, it, just generally speaking, I hate press releases, but the ACC has made good hires and has scheduled good games. And, and, you know, Notre Dame has been a part of that. And even uh, this is ridiculously stupid, but like even some of the, the FCS opponents, like you know, NC state opens against James Madison. That is cripplingly stupid, but, <laughs> um, it's it's a good game. It'll be a pretty good game, right. and, and you know Virginia plays Richmond. Like they actually, they don't seem to be scared of scheduling good FCS opponents, which is terrible business. But I like, I approve, even though it's kind of stupid. Um, so the reason why I enjoy this so much is because the ACC is putting out these old brag points because they always get knocked a little bit between living in the space, literally between the big 10 and the sec. Is that fair to say? Right. Sure. I mean, I think last year they, they, everybody kind of accepted that they were, if not the best conference tied for the best with the sec. Oh yeah. No, I was, I I was hollering about that. They have certainly, I I don't think there's any sort of massive inferiority thing going on here, but they can always stand to sell themselves more because they'll, especially during basketball season, they'll always kind of fall back towards that little basketball reputation the funny thing is this though like the big the first bullet point is like we'll play more games 19 against power five competition including Notre Dame and any of their peers well you know why because Pitt signed a contract with Penn State and because the other half of your conference below the Mason Dixon has a permanent cross division opponent in the SEC and they only play that's why they, they also only play eight uh conference games which I mean you know I'm all for everybody only playing eight conference games but regardless that means they have more chances to play yes. uh good uh just find it opponents I find it funny although I will say look when when the, they phrase it like this they they look good on opening weekend uh, Miami's going to play against LSU yeah. in uh, in the Cowboys game. The I don't know what it's called, whatever Cowboys Stadium that one. Um, Camping World kickoff in Orlando has um, somebody from the ACC. Help me. Oh, Louisville. That's yeah. right. Oh yeah. God, that, one, that one's bad. Uh-huh. Don't bra- don't brag about that one. ACC. You don't want to draw attention to that one. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Who's in Atlanta this year? Chick Fil A. It's Tennessee again. I think. Um, Gross. No, that's not right, is it? Oh, no, 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 no. Tennessee's playing somebody non-conference, but... Auburn and somebody. Oh, it's Auburn and Washington. Uh, yeah, okay. That's a cool game. Uh, Virginia Tech, Florida State is on that first Monday night, by the way, uh, as well, yes. which I so that was. The, they have made a really good... In fact, they even phrase it up, and this is a smart move on ESPN's part, the ACC's traditional Labor Day Monday night game. <laughs> Although the Monday night of Labor Day last this past year was... Well, no, I guess it was technically Georgia Tech. So that was an yeah. East, Georgia, it was Georgia Tech, Tennessee. Um, Tennessee, V-Tech. by the way, Tennessee plays West Virginia in Charlotte is what I was thinking of, which is weird on like eight different accounts. That's but an whatever. ACC game. Yeah, it's basically an ACC like hotbed territory with a Big 12 SEC matchup. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm okay with this. Now, I, I don't know if you've had a ton of time to look at how they've mapped this out. Um, it, I think they're trying to pay better mind to – I think the ACC is quietly noticing how like the Pac-12 has screwed some stuff up for their for their lead dogs, <laughs> yeah. and and they're trying not to do that in as diplomatic a way possible for their national title contenders. Is that fair to say? Uh, I 
I doubt that anybody like, well, scheduling is so inflexible. I can't really, if you're, unless you're talking about the press release itself, in which case, yeah, I mean, that's fine. But I mean, just generally speaking, uh, it, it's hard to say, look what's happening to the PAC 12, but we're going to schedule things in this way. It's really hard to schedule. Uh, well, the, okay. So here's why I say that. Let's look at Clemson, right? That's your best national title contender this year. Fair to say, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Okay. Um, Clemson scheduling aggressively, doing the smart thing, getting the showcase game. They're going to be at A&M in week two, right? Mm-hmm. They couch that with Furman and Georgia Southern. Um, wow. It's my mom and my uncle's alma maters. <laughs> um, uh, then they've got, so this is what I'm talking about when it, when it comes to sort of flexibility and, and playing smart. They have to close the season against an improving uh, South Carolina team the week before they play Duke. The week before that is Boston College. And the week before that, it's Louisville. Louisville's at home. Louisville follows up at Florida State. So essentially, even though the conference has improved, they get the quote-unquote sort of resume, I don't know, attaboy, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. of saying, hey, we played Florida State and Louisville back-to-back, right? But it was one was home, one was away, so they made sure of that. And they've spread everything else out. Like Georgia Tech is between Georgia Southern and Syracuse, right? So – there's no by the way there's no friday night game this year for clemson they got trapped on the uh going to syracuse on a friday night this year um i just it's little stuff like that especially when you read uh john wilner's stuff um he he basically like is the preeminent pac-12 reporter out there diagnosing what happened to usc and and stanford and 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 uh i guess it was really just those two he had he had a defense too for washington as well like uh, it's interesting to see how the ACC avoids that in the conversation. Uh, possibly. I, that, to me, like this, the stuff with USC especially, it, there's a lot of overthinking going on there. It was unfortunate that they had to go at Washington State on a Friday. Um, mm-hmm. But like the whole no bye weeks thing, that didn't cost them at all. Their two losses came in like the first seven games of the year. And, and you know, a lot of teams didn't, have a buy in those first seven weeks. Like there, there's, there's, there's impact and there's, there's just kind of the extra chatter. Uh, and to me, like there's, yeah. there's, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I, okay. with, you know, especially last year with Clemson getting screwed by Syracuse, uh, the Syracuse game playing out the way it did, um, you know, maybe that had to do with being on a Friday night or maybe it didn't, but regardless, like that was technically like USC losing to Washington state. So they're not really doing any better in that regard. So I, I don't know. It's something we talk about, but I don't think it has much of an impact on stuff. Uh, and I just peed all over uh, your, what you were saying, which I apologize. No, no, that's fine. Oh, we're I mean, supposed I, to disagree more according to last week's show. Yeah, exactly. Agree more, so. Although I'd like, I, I'm going to refute like I, it, they're doing a good job of keeping things clean for the big dogs. Like doing a good job period. Um, and, yes. and part of that rubs off on, and you know how the, those schedules play out. I, yeah. So Florida state, obviously first year head coach and Willie Taggart, but you know, potentially a good, you know, a top 15, top 10 team who, you know, I'm not saying that like this is a title contender that they're protecting, but they get the big labor day game against Virginia tech. Then they get Samford at home. Mm-hmm. Right. Then everything shakes out clean. They get Wake Forest at home before they they get Clemson at home. Then they go to NC State, then to Notre Dame. That's probably the toughest run they've got in terms of piling these things together. Before they go to Louisville, they get Northern Illinois at home. They close the season before they host Florida with Boston College. That's a balanced, smart schedule. Yes, and it could be an accident. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to schedule. Also, is Pitt, hey, is Pitt Miami always like a Thanksgiving week game? It is now, apparently. I, I don't think yeah, it, I don't it always know. has been. Missing, 
I'm missing the tradition there, but I'm okay with it. Um, uh, here's, by the way, here's something that I wasn't, um, this wasn't on the docket, but since we're talking about next year, uh, I did yeah. yesterday, I shared some of this in our Slack room and I'll share it on SB nation next week, but I do, I did calculate the initial, um, returning, uh, percentages, uh, production numbers, uh, returning yes. production, uh, returning. Uh, percentage of God, I can't speak. Percentage of production yeah, return. Boom. Reboot. Man, Reboot. Seriously, um, it's kind of interesting. There is no like West Virginia, Michigan at the bottom end this time. Most of the really, really low percentage teams are G fives. But since we're talking about Conference USA, um, the bottom. Let's see. Some of the bottom teams when it comes to returning production next year include Southern Miss, uh, which loses a lot of its offense and most of its defense. So Jay Hobson is going to have a little bit of a reset year. UTSA, UTSA. Oh, Frank. Yeah, this was their year to really kind of make a statement for him. Uh, Now his recruiting is going to have to kind of come through a little bit uh, if they're going to avoid any sort of, but they're fourth from the bottom. They return 40% of their production the way I calculate it. Um, uh, They lose a decent amount on defense and a whole lot on offense. So that's a problem. Next on the list, FIU also returns very little from this year's team. Um, And so they're going to maybe struggle a little bit in Butch Davis's second year. By the way, I've now said, said butch davis twice without accidentally calling him butch jones and i'm very pl- proud of myself i'm proud of you i look i've i no, that's not a joke i've i've murdered that this past year seventh lowest on the list louisville uh, who loses not only lamar but a whole hell of a lot of defense and um and a defensive coordinator now too uh so that's going to be an interesting test for bobby petrino he's already stayed longer in louisville than he usually kind of tends to stay in places or you know without at least the rumors starting to pop up uh but this is going to be an interesting year for him uh in that regard also to the bottom Bill, of the list Bill, we'll, we'll talk you about say that lo- you say that like, oh, hey, the raccoons didn't get in the trash last night. The raccoons didn't get in the trash last night. Guess what's going to happen tonight? Uh, raccoons uh, get in the yeah, trash. Right, that'll give us something to talk about. Uh, also low on the list, uh, and we'll, again, discuss all this in further detail later, LSU loses a lot um, on offense especially. Uh, Oklahoma State loses a lot. Oh, that won't bother LSU. They'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, they also lose a decent amount defensively, and that could hurt them. But um, it'll be interesting, very interesting year for LSU in terms of turnover on the staff, on the uh, uh, on the depth chart, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but th- here's a, the other reason I was going to bring up the returning production. Uh, the let's see, number thirteen overall in returning production next year, Clemson. Uh, number one is Michigan State, by the way, uh, but we've got Charlotte returning a lot. We're talking about Conference USA and ACC at the same time. You've got Charlotte returning a lot. You've got UAB and Duke returning a lot. You've got FAU returning almost everybody, especially defensively. Um, and you've wow. got Clemson sitting there looking real, real good for, uh, for 2018. I may have thought the Michigan State era had closed. Well, I mean, I, you know, in the preview I wrote last season, it really was kind of basically number Look, one, man, that's, that's it for you're smart. I'm not, I make surface level assumptions before I go in to do like a very, very narrow piece of reporting and which is usually character or political or like cultural based. I don't do what you do. So when I look at that, here's why, here's why you make that assumption real fast. Michigan state, uh, we've done this before. Haven't we well, been no, like no, 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 achieved no, 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 all this no. stuff? With, with Brady Hoke and, and, and a Penn State NCAA sanctioned team as Myers on the way up for the first time. So, like, they had a window, right? We said that. They had a window, and now that window is very different. It's essentially closed. So if he's really good now in the 
James Franklin, Harbaugh, Meyer dominant to the East, then he's, you know what? Mark D'Antonio is really damn good. Well, what I think it means is it, it changes expectations. Like now, if they, they they should be able to play at a top fifteen level next year, that doesn't mean they're going to you know eke out a twelve and zero or eleven and one and win the Big Ten. It means they're going to finish third in the Big Ten East. But that's still you know what I, the point I was going to make was in the preview. I basically said, like, but, you know, all indicators are that, you know, this is a bad time for Michigan State. And, of course, for completely different reasons now, it is a bad time for Michigan State University. We're not going to get into that today. But um, but basically, like what I said in the preview is that he had to hope that this extreme turnover, both on the two deep and then uh, attrition and kicking people off in the offseason and suddenly you're relying on a bunch of new sophomores and juniors and a few freshmen and everything, like – there's an opportunity there to create an identity, either the same one or a completely different one as from before, but there's a chance like when you have that much new blood to, to create something and it's hard to do, but occasionally people do it and he did it. And, and so they were better this last year than they were supposed to be by all accounts. Uh, And now here's the year where they actually start to return experience again. And so it's going to be, I, the ceiling is what I'm most interested in here. They should be very good next year. But again, like you know, Penn State loses a decent amount, but is still uh, in sturdy shape. Michigan, uh, Michigan is number 15 on this list. Michigan returns a lot as well, uh, and and it's a very big put up or shut up here for Jim Harbaugh. Ohio State's going to be just fine, and so. Yeah, like the, it's it's the the environment has changed, and that'll change that'll impact whether like what we think of as Michigan State's ceiling in terms of wins and losses. But they, the, it, it looks like they're going to remain a top fifteen twenty program here, and that's definitely not something we were comfortably able to say a year ago. I think the funniest thing I think we're going to have to cheer for Notre Dame in Week One against Michigan. I think it's going to. I just fun. want. I think it's going to be funnier if they lose. I just like that's. I, I don't really good or bad. I'm just. I, I'm just here for Michigan in 2018. There are just going to be so many things, good or bad. I, and I don't want them exactly to only one go, of us. I don't. I don't want them to only go 10 and two. I want yeah. them to either go 12 and 0 or six and six. Like that's that's really where I'm setting the bar here. Or four and eight, Bill. We got to hustle. We got a ton of stuff to do. Um. So Jason Kirk did the 12 worst games of 2017. Um. Florida State, Florida. Did you watch it? Uh. No. Hell no. I didn't watch a God, single second. It was, of it was ass. I did not watch it. Um. Uh, what did Jason say? I'm not sure this game could have. Uh, I'm not sure what this game could have done to avoid making this list. The story, storied rivalry, saddest edition in your dad's lifetime was summed up by the following, and it's a gif of. Um, oh, what's the backup's name? Um, the quarterback that he he took a he fell down trying to touch the pylon, but he actually had his knee down at the one. I can't remember his name now. Florida I don't State. even know what team you're talking about because I didn't Florida watch State. a single second. Florida State. Oh, Blackman. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Alabama Vanderbilt. Um, I consumed this game amongst others in one of the multi-screen days. So I guess I watched it. I watched it just out of morbid curiosity in the first quarter because I did the Vandy K-State game the week prior. Did you watch this game? I watched uh, the first quarter of this game and they went, ew, and and quickly moved on with my life. Uh, Arizona. I mean, we kind of knew. We kind of knew. knew that was possible. And then you know, there. You know, at, well, as Jason put it, never ever want Bama because uh, you know we saw the jokes. Vanderbilt's so much better than expected, and I think they were at that point. It's just they got their soul destroyed that day, and they were never the same. I tweeted Vanderbilt, out. By the way, does not return much next year, and they could be in trouble anyway. They're in big, big trouble. Um, big, big trouble. Um, there's uh, interesting to watch. Um. A couple people that will circle that job if Derek Mason can't get it done this year. Um, Arizona USC. Um, I don't think I saw this game. 
All I remember about that game is is Khalil Tate kind of melting down and making a bunch of mistakes. Um, and the USC winning. That's about it. I did not watch enough of it because Jason put it on the list because he it was um, kind of Pac-12 refs at their worst. Um, I did not watch enough to get that impression, uh, but I'm happy that I didn't. Uh, I was at the following game. Can you guess it? Or unless you have the list pulled up. In front of me. I have the list pulled up. Yeah. Oh, okay. South Carolina, Tennessee. I was there. You. I was there. Um, what can you say about this game? Um, I think UT had two turnovers maybe in the first half. They go to the red zone a bunch. They kick nothing. Yeah, they blew like 28 scoring chances. They kick yeah. like nothing but field goals. It was, in a weird way, the quiet actual death after all of the like, you know, the Alabama score and the Georgia score and everything else and all the other crazy crap that went on. Like, this was the act. It, it's actually why I drove over there that day to do this game. Was like, surely they have. This is the rally time. They have to win this one. And they kept saying like, oh, you know, Butch wants to talk to you and give his side of thing. And of course, he just didn't. He never did. Um, <laughs> it was a total waste. I would say it was a total waste of my time, but it was definitely like. It's good experience watching a fractured program and a fractured administration just just kind of implode. Um, it was a really crappy game and a really crappy day for for Tennessee. Um, I wrote a piece about it. I don't think it's linked here. Um, Michigan State. Um, <laughs> this is funny. Michigan State. Michigan which, State which opponent? Yes. Um, and then we've got you in the top 100 list. I guess we're kind of spoiling that. Or how do you want to do this? We'll skip over. We'll skip over okay, that. Okay. Michigan State played in a couple of Asking. really terrible road uh, weather games that were great and terrible at the same time. Uh, Delaware, Florida State. It's only remarkable because of the whole Reddit controversy that the Delaware wasn't actually strong enough to be Delaware considered. State. Delaware State. Okay, sorry, Delaware State. Um, so basically, the whole thing became a, an issue because um, of the Reddit post about the Delaware State did not have enough. Um, what was it? It's X amount of scholarship players to be yeah, considered. Like a, they're not yeah, using right. enough of their scholarships. Yeah. BYU LSU watched every Ugh. minute of this game. I was planning on it, and then I watched BYU Portland State the week before, and it clued me into, ooh, 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 BYU. I don't think I want any part of this. I watched, again, about a quarter of it and realized what was going to happen. Georgia uh, Georgia State, Penn State, um, I just saw the ice the kicker thing. I think that was it. Um, and also my favorite part of that was that um, James Franklin had to say that I am not Keegan-Michael Key, um, who, by the way, they are actually friends in real life because Keegan-Michael Key is a Penn State alumnus, and he's from Philadelphia. And <laughs> Franklin is from Eastern Pennsylvania. So, yes. Um, Kansas TCU, no. Really might be the worst. That one really might be the worst game because it was nationally televised primetime on Fox. Illinois USF. Um, I did see part of this. Yeah, yeah that was also I gross. Um, Illinois UC. Oh, I, I remember this now. I did. I watched most of this game while I was doing something else in the house and just really disappointed that, like, all right, Charlie. Here's your moment, right? Like, shove it back in Austin's face, and like, he just yeah. For as Illinois, good a season as they had, he just could not make it look enticing. Well, yeah, and, and that's I mean, whatever. Aesthetics are secondary to winning, and they won. Uh, they also lose a lot of contribution from last year. But Illinois too. Like, I came into that game thinking, okay, I want to see what USF has to offer. And Illinois had just beaten Western Kentucky, and I was thinking, well, maybe there's something. And they looked terrible from the outset. USF, as as soon as they stopped getting out of their way, they looked okay. Uh, but yeah, penalties and just 
penalties and bad special teams and penalties. It was just a terrible game. And then finally, and Kirk didn't number these, but Ohio State, USC, I knew this game was going to suck. I couldn't figure out why. And I said something to the fact of like, do I have to watch this? And you said like, the helmet's on the field. It was. There were pretty helmets. And you and Ohio State wore the right. And that game sucked. It, I, I would not uh, have it on this. <gasps> I'm telling Kirk. But he did. Uh, he, he used it as an excuse to post that awesome gif of the players fighting and the USC fans ignore the USC cheerleaders ignoring it to cheer. And that was beautiful. Um, if but yes, we have any. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just, like USC blew a bunch of chances, but basically because Ohio State laid, laid the hammer down so quickly, and and you know Sam Darnold you know made his mistakes so early in the game, uh, nothing else mattered because Ohio State turns it's full on Woody Hayes when Ohio State has a lead now, and um, they suck the life out of games really well. We got to go hurry up, no huddle if we're going to do everything and get even some questions in. We still have the 40 best games of the 2017-2018 season, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Yeah. Number 40, we did, uh, if you want to go back and listen to last week's show, we did 100 to uh, 41. We'll start back at number 40, October 21st, Oklahoma 42, Kansas State 35. You jump us right back in with some Big 12 action. Yes, uh, it was really hard to differentiate Big 12 games. It always is uh, to, to the degree where I made the same mistake. I believe I made a couple years ago. I had Kansas State, Texas Tech on here twice. I, I confused myself because of there are so many very similar Big 12 games. Uh, this one stood out a little bit just because, I mean, number one, it was Oklahoma, but also uh, it was back and forth for a long time. They uh, they exploded in the fourth quarter. Um you know, oh, you kept pulling ahead, but Kansas State kept pecking back. It was a fun game. It was an it was a Bill Snyder versus a good team game, and and it played out that way. Number thirty nine, September 29th, Washington State thirty, USC twenty seven. This is an awesome game. I think we've talked a good bit about it, but my personal memory was that I that that week before I was out of town on a Project X meeting, and had came into town, had tickets to a show from one of my favorite bands, like mainly from the nineties slash early two thousands that had broken up for like a decade and gotten back together. And it was one of those deals where like my wife and I had a sitter, we had a restaurant and a show lined up. It was like, if you're a parent, you understand the confluence of events. Like that's, it's the rarest of windows. And I, w- I love the band to death. They're called Afghan wigs show up at the concert. It's one of those things like this, like I probably this, this some member of this band's going to die in a year. Like this is it. It's one of those unique experiences. And I kept, pulling up watch espn on my phone it's like that's the highest compliment i can pay wazoo usc it was one of those games where even where i'm like I'm, i dvr'd it but i was still like you gotta enjoy the concert then man that's huh no i know but it was just like it, i i think it's it's exactly what we say here is that dreams die in pullman i think there is a a incomparable mystique to when wazoo pulls an upset at home it's pretty awesome. It's Fireball. a great college football thing. Yeah. Fireball. Uh, you're, I, I, you're, my, you're, you're trying to make me positive in 2018. That's a positive thing. A wazoo upset at home. <laughs> my favorite tidbit about this game is that Washington State all season had two rushes of 30 plus yards, and one of them eliminated USC from the national title race, basically. Oh, wait. We talked about that on a previous yeah. show. Um, number 38, October 28th, Nebraska 25, Purdue, number, uh, Purdue 24. Watch out for them boilers. This was still, no, I want to say this late October. I, I thought this game was earlier in the season. <clears throat> This was in the oh, per, this wasn't in the um. Hey, did you see what Purdue did? Window. It was more like the hey, Purdue is competent. Window, 
And then we got into November and it was like, no, Purdue's good. Right, you're yeah. starting to look at the you're starting to look at the schedule like Purdue looked so good early, and then you're starting to look at the schedule thinking, ah, they better win this one. Otherwise, they're gonna end up like just crumbling to four and eight or something. And then they they fell apart. Uh Nebraska came back. This was basically Nebraska's single shining moment from 2017. Um, they blow that game. It looks really awful for Purdue, and then they win three out of four to make a bowl anyway. Um, but it was that at that point I thought their bowl hopes were just about over. Uh, way back beginning of the season, Virginia tech 31, West Virginia 24. Um, I was a moron. I was watching the Tennessee Georgia tech game during this. <laughs> okay. I flipped through a little bit, but I flipped through a little bit, but I should have just watched this one. That was a much better game. Except number 36 is Tennessee 42, Georgia tech 41. Here's yeah, why I think that was the next day. That was the next day. Wait, it, oh wait, that's right. It was. There was something I was watching in lieu of the Virginia Tech game. I can't remember. I guess it was <laughs> in the Tennessee game. Um, I definitely made a choice against that one and felt bad for it. So, um, oh, man, I just remember Will Greer in this. Like, yeah, that's no, kind of – it's he, hard to remember the week one games. He did a lot of crazy good and, and some crazy bad in that one. It was, it was a very uh, accurate impression of what we were going to get from Will Greer in West Virginia in 2017. Excellent job on layout, by the way, and uh, wonderful verbiage Trash by game. me on number 36. I wrote about uh, Tennessee 42, Georgia Tech 41. I think I've told the story already. I'm not going to tell the entire thing, but I was supposed to embed with Tennessee for this game. And Butch Jones was basically too paranoid to give me the access. I can say all this stuff now. And maybe <laughs> if I haven't, or here's the dear listeners. If I haven't told that story, I'll tell the story later, but I don't want to get into the whole like first act, third act, fourth act of it. Um, I think I have, but anyway, um, I know I've told it to other co- coworkers and colleagues that game. I was supposed to be embedded for to write about what was going on at Tennessee. It didn't happen. So I just remember like grilling and, and chilling at my house with my wife and kids and watching that game and just laughing at the insanity of it. And also trash can trash can is what everyone really remembers from that trash can slash. This was the best Tennessee probably looked on one side of the ball the entire year. And then everything yep. died a much worse death. Yeah. Um, uh, th- pretty much. I mean, this was, you know, I, with row the boat and stuff like the PJ, the stuff PJ Fleck does. Like I always say that um, it's all about commitment when it comes to that stuff. Cause it's all basically the same. It's a way to stay motivated and focused, but basically it just comes down to how well can you drill at home um, and, and row the boat is stupid in every possible way, but it works for him because he has, he has married it. He has made it his uh, and everybody knows it. And after a while it becomes kind of almost, if you don't like it at first, or if you don't take it seriously at first you start to celebrate it after a while trash can was a dumb from the start and b ditched as quickly as humanly possible which means butch jones failed basically every step well, of, of the also motivation stuck in the damn turnovers uh 35 34 33 you're not gonna interrupt me this time buddy your new mexico state block i want to get the scores out for people to understand why new mexico state is this damn high up these are the three close wins by the ags this year uh 30 28 over new mexico 22 17 over south alabama 26 20 over utah state and, and you did throw in a papn plug in the article yes. but we don't need that because you're listening to papn yes no i, uh, I yeah. obviously like if you listen to this show i mean you already know this and you probably already think this but like if you you, you didn't have to like really hardcore follow new mexico state uh, but if you didn't at least like see the scores or see the headlines and kind of smile to yourself or see the the shot of NMSU fans rushing the field for going six and six. Um, 
Like if you if you couldn't see that and and smile at it, then I have no idea why you follow, follow college football. Just You're follow pros. dead inside. Because I mean that was that was college. That was this was the most college football thing that happened this year. Um, college football, like ce- rushing the field for six and six, celebrating a, just a random bowl, rushing the field after winning the bowl. Um, it was just it was a beautiful thing, and and I, I'm always of the impression of, of the opinion that especially at the lower levels, like every fan base deserves to be happy sometimes. And, uh, and, and New Mexico state fans that first of all, they showed the hell up uh, in, in Tucson for their bowl game. It was a big, big deal. And they won at the last second to clinch a bowl. And then they went to, uh, you know, Arizona for the bowl and Larry Rose, the third, the best player on the team for like three to four straight years, uh, gets to score the winning touchdown in his final game. That was beautiful. That was just a beautiful college football thing. Number 32 is another beautiful college football thing. Hell I yes. This, I want to li- I want this to live in a, in a Josh Allen free zone and a NFL free zone. Yes. Number November 4th, Wyoming 16, Colorado state 13. I have had the privilege in my life of attending two games at the university of Wyoming and Laramie. Uh, one, I was working for the student paper when I was in college at Ole Miss. That game was a non-conference game in September. And the second for SB nation, when I wrote the piece about Laramie was a conference game against Fresno state it was a balmy 41 degrees, I think, 40 degrees at kickoff in October. I have pains in my soul that I missed not only another bronze boot showdown with Wyoming and Colorado State, but one in which it snowed like a movie, like a movie, <laughs> Bill. I mean, the gift that we include here of, um, of Wyoming's mascot, it's just this is what you want when you go to Wyoming. It's pretty amazing. And also the game, uh, obviously, you know. The way they end the game and the, uh, the the trick play was pretty awesome. Sorry, I yawned. I should have yawned while I was talking about my beloved pokes. And they're yes, amazing right. home uniforms as I watch this replay as we do this podcast. The brown on yellow, the brown jerseys on yellow pants with white helmets is one of the best. I mean, this is why I always pick Miami when I play on NCAA on PlayStation <laughs> 3. <sighs> I love it so much. Um, we got to keep going. We still have a lot of this. Was the PAPN block of the top 100 countdown? No by the way. We had New Mexico State and Wyoming back to back. Okay, okay, Bill, tell me why you put these two games together. Again, we have another block mm-hmm. uh, from October 13th. The upset: Syracuse 27, Clemson 24. Friday night game, and then November 4th, Clemson 38, NC State 31. Uh, because they involved Clemson. Good enough. Moving on. I mean, that was pretty much it. Like basically the way until you get to about the top 20, um, I, I kind of just roughly position games and then I block them off accordingly. And I mean, Syracuse comes in. I, I know Syracuse fans certainly thought this was one of the top five games of the year, but I mean, um, it, it was Clemson's backup quarterback. It was a pretty gross game until Eric Dungy just started like hammering his way uh, for like a six yard run on third and five every time. Uh, but I mean, it was, it was fun. It was carried home all live and excited, beating the defending national champion. And then Clemson had to respond and hold off NC state with help of a very well-timed penalty to, uh, to survive and, and get their playoff, uh, you know, keep their playoff bid, uh, alive. And they barely did NC state, very NC state thing to do, I guess, to, to have one of your best teams in recent memory and have a chance and then have it, uh, uh, blown by a, a legal shift penalty. But regardless, they were both pretty good games. we got to keep going. So I'm just going to say, pull up the actual article to understand number 29 SMU 41, Tulane 38. There's a gif that shows, um, Tulane being tackled an inch short 
a millimeter yes. short of the goal line. And this view did not come until like the next day. Um, the only views we saw on CBS, I believe it was CBS sports. It certainly looked like Tulane had scored on the final play of the game to clinch bowl eligibility. Uh, and then we did uh, uh, replay said, no, uh, that we all thought they were screwed. And then the next day, uh, uh, SMU, I think posts a video that basically said, yeah, he was short and it looks sure. looks like he was short. Uh, number 28, Northwestern 39, Michigan state 31. Um, I don't think this got enough play. This is a really good game. I don't think this one got enough play. This is definitely a sleeper game. It's one that I only saw the highlights of. I probably would go back and check out on, on one of those Big Ten Network kind of, what do they do? The, the like game in 60 minutes deals. Um, this right, one, yeah, they'll, they'll reshow this game 38 times in the offseason. You've yeah. got opportunities. Number 27 and number 26 are two bowl games, uh, two good bowl games. One um, I thought was going to be really good, and it was, and one I avoided like the plague and turned out to be awesome. Uh, in that order, TCU 39, Stanford 37, and Wake Forest 55, Texas A&M 52. Fun bowls. Uh, really, TCU, I mean, like, second half of the Alamo Bowl. If you play TCU in the Alamo Bowl, just quit at halftime. Um, I think people will understand. Sim to end. Uh, no, these this, these two games alone are, are reinforcements for the stupid argument that we have to have with people every year about, oh, I'm going to make a bowl <laughs> game on a Thursday night. I don't need the bowl game. Like, this is, it's really entertaining. It was fun. It was fun, yeah. harmless football. Yeah, like, for God's sakes, Wake Forest was entertaining. What the hell? Like, what do you want? You want proof of miracles? <laughs> all right. Miracles are all around us. Magnets. How do they work? October 7th, Miami 24, Florida State 20. Oh, man, Florida State played an entertaining game this year. Huh? Yeah, this was a terrible game for two to three quarters and then exciting as hell uh, in the fourth. And that, that was, got them into the top 25. Yeah, especially in the in the last 10 seconds. Well, another gift to check out. Uh, scooting along. Woo, buddy. Kind of interesting that this game would be in there because neither of these teams won the Commander in Chiefs trophy. Navy 48, Air Force 45. <laughs> what happened here, Bill? This was, I mean, Navy went up big, somehow blew a lead to Air Force. Uh, Air Force scores like four touchdowns and barely more than a quarter. Um, there are touchdown passes. Uh, there were big, huge runs. There was a last, uh, like a last second uh, touchdown drive for Navy. It was, it was not exactly the pinnacle of option football, but it was fun as hell. I, I don't know how or why I ended up watching most of this game, but I, I got kind of clued into it early on and started watching as the air force started coming back fun as hell. The end that's, that, that's why it was top 25. It was fun as hell. A game I would put in the top 10 is number is number 23, Alabama 31, Mississippi state 24. Um, this isn't Iowa state, Oklahoma state in that it let it lets Alabama back in the national title picture to win, but it's close. Um, this was a game Mississippi State had. This was the moment for the Dan Mullen era in Saturday, <laughs> which goes back to 2009. Um, this was supposed to be the coronation. And, you know, you can't blame Mississippi State necessarily for anything they did. You hired Todd Graham. I mean, what, what you remember about this game in the waning moments is that you hired a you hired a blitz centric defensive coordinator who decided that blitzing was going to be the thing that got under Jalen Hurts. I'm curious how much of this game was watched and viewed and picked apart in the uh, in the film rooms at Georgia before the national championship because mm-hmm. it ends up being a what not to do in a couple key situations uh, in the last couple drives for Alabama. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe the reason I didn't have this as high as maybe you did, I didn't watch it live. I knew the result before I watched it. Uh, I watched it. Um, okay. I, I was think, watching it live. 
And so that kind of colored maybe how I saw certain things. This wasn't, yeah, this wasn't a huge 38 plot twist in the fourth quarter kind of game. Mississippi State landed some shots early. It ended very quickly. Like neither team was moving very fast. The clock seemed to just be disappearing. Um, but I love the foreshadowing of a Alabama miss it, blowing a chance to to win with a field goal yep. late in the game, and then B scoring the game winning touchdown on a pass to Devonte Smith. That that was pretty much like perfect uh, table setting for the national title. Game. I think the reason why I have it so high up is obviously my experience in Mississippi and knowing what that mean would win for Mississippi State. Um, beating yep. Saban and beating Alabama specifically, it's just something that's eluded Mississippi State for a long, long time. It was one of the things that drove them insane at the heights of the Hugh Freeze era, the Egg Bowl rivalry, and they had their moment. They had their swing and they missed. Um, Mississippi State, by the way, uh, eighth in 2018 returning production percentage. Uh, they are loaded for Joe Moorhead next a year. Very, very interesting year in Starkville. October 14th, Boston College 45, Louisville 42. On its own. It's really also when Boston College suddenly further than that. It was wild. Yeah, Boston College suddenly had an offense in late October and or mid to late October. It was just the damnedest thing, and um, they went toe to toe. They went toe to toe. Humongous runs to go up two touchdowns late, and Lamar Jackson rips off a big run to get them back within uh, or to tie the game in the fourth quarter. It was it was great. It was just a fun college football game. Uh, we got a we got a pair here that Jason wrote about. Um, Jason's weird, <laughs> the best and worst, the best and worst state. Um, October seventh, Michigan State fourteen. Uh, Michigan 10 and then November 4th Michigan State upsetting Penn State um, they're both awesome games in their own right it's not necessarily something that's going to be like I hate to use the whole heavyweight fight thing but when I looked at the Mississippi State Alabama game it was very much sort of like trading blows in the second half um, Michigan State the or the, the Michigan game was just a weather induced it was just know, gross it was terrible grunting but like but the but it was interesting <laughs> to see how they defended Penn State's offense. It, it was, it was interesting yes. to watch. Yes, and and the whole the the weather delay and the emergency pizza and all that. It was a very very strange Saturday there. I hate to report that Ask PAPN might be getting pushed into an all ask PP all ask PAPN episode. Um, we got all off season to address Ask PAPN. Uh, well, we so. have nineteen games left, and the reason why I say that is I want to really dedicate time. Um, hey, look, one I wrote about December 9th. Army 14, Navy 13. Uh, I'd probably talk too much about the service academies at this point. But, um, I mean, what do you want? It was – this is the game I've said is save, can save your soul if you let it. And it was in the snow. And I think the thing this, I remember – This wasn't Trent Steelman's fumble. This wasn't this wasn't Trent Steelman no. fumbling. This wasn't Army breaking the streak. This was just a very, very well, good And also, like, Nia Matsunola said this to me, like, it, it, you know – Let's see him. Let, let's let's do even strength. They were pissed off at at the the streak ending mainly because of, of what they considered to be a self inflicted, um, you know, wound right. and the fact that they trotted a third string quarterback out there to play a really good Army defense last year. Whereas this year they were they were fairly even strength and Army was a was a um, an equal. I'm not saying they were a better team at all. I just think they're, I think they have become and maybe are almost there 85, 90% Navy's equal, which just has not been the case for the better part of a decade. So, I mean, it's actually, it was actually worse before this past decade, if I'm going to be totally honest. Um, 
you know, what do you want? I was in New York City for Heisman <laughs> Week. I think, yeah, you were too. Like my wife and I were out in Midtown yeah. Manhattan. The game's on TV. Everybody's talking about it. There's snow in uh, in Philadelphia. It was just, it was just beautiful. It's awesome. It's um, it's a game I'll defend. I don't care how critical you are, the military or whatever. <laughs> like it's just, it's something we need in this sport desperately. Uh, number eighteen and some number seventeen. You get another pair here. Um, more Oklahoma State, which makes sense because yeah. you know. I would say pound for pound when you try and create entertaining football product. What are you averaging? How many years have you done the top 100? Uh, that's what I think this is uh, since 20, I think 2012 was probably would, my first. So like I've been guess that Oklahoma state shows up a lot, if not one of like the top. <laughs> so we have here, uh, Bedlam, uh, Oklahoma 62, Oklahoma yep. state 52. And we have K state 45, Oklahoma state 40. So a pair of, uh, a pair of losses, but you know, nonetheless, man, yep. even when they're going down, they they make it entertaining as hell. Yeah, I mean, and this was you know a sign of their progress that you can look back at a, a ten and three Oklahoma State season and say like that was legitimately disappointing. And it came down to these two games, like the TCU game they lost also at home. <laughs> they had three home losses this year, but they lost to TCU. They had a couple injuries, and TCU turned out to be good. Like that's fine, uh, but Oklahoma. They had, uh, they were down three. They picked off a pass in the end zone. They were set up to win the game and they stalled. Uh, and then Oklahoma State, uh, Oklahoma scores a late rushing touchdown to to win by ten. But that Kansas State game, I mean, they first of all, Oklahoma State was just straight up terrible for the for first twenty twenty five minutes of that game. No, they were into the second half really. I, I, I think Kansas State was up uh, what like twenty five points with with about with a very little of the third mm-hmm. quarter to go. Uh, and then OSU turns on OSU touchdown get the ball back touchdown, get the ball back. And they had the ball back with four minutes left and a chance to, to pull off a miracle win. And they stalled out again. It was, it was, it was anticlimactic in some ways, but that was, they needed a few more offensive plays and they would have been in the playoff hunt and, and their offense let them down strangely enough in those moments. Now defense giving up 62 and 45 points to these two teams. Obviously the defense was the bigger issue. It was just, they had the ball on their serve, so to speak. Uh, they had the match on their serve, and they couldn't close it out. Bill, would you consider me to be an SEC homer by any stretch? Definitely. Absolutely. Right. You know, you know me. I'm always defending the shield, right? <laughs> I'm going to uh, make some bold statements here. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, the next game is number 16. I don't know, maybe a top 10 game. We'll see for me. September 9th, Georgia 20, Notre Dame 19. This is when the world met Jake Fromm, and this is where the world also met Rodrigo Blankenship. Um, yes. and, uh, obviously we do remember, we've got a gift here, the Terry Godwin catch, which is insane because it almost looks like the start of a gross injury gift, but it just really <laughs> is like the, the ballet of human ability to, you know, p- pure physical ability to make a one-handed catch, bring it in, sustain, sustain possession as defined by like, you know, the ball being stable as well as just your body, right. like bending to stay in bounds with your feet. It's just really impressive. Um, yes. my, I would contend that if Georgia plays this game against Notre Dame in December, that they crush them. December. Yes. October. Like, I think the only reason I had this one 16th and not higher was it was very conservative because yes. they, you know, Notre Dame just, you know, it was their second game with Brandon Wimbush. It was, it was basically Georgia's first game with Jake Fromm. It was very much let's jab a lot. Let's throw a bunch of jabs. We're not going to get too involved. And I mean, it was still a very, very good game, obviously, but yeah. I think if they played that game in late September or early October, uh, when both of them were at, at 
at the most comfortable with themselves and, and everything, I think it would have been uh, an even better game. But yes, in December, Georgia probably wins going away. This is the very, very beginning of Georgia understanding what it's going to do as an offense. And also it shows up. It's, it's sort of the first statement it makes as a defense as well. Yeah. But I just think that you go back and look at from in this game and look at the play calling and they are, they are testing out ideas still on a massive yeah. stage. They did not realize what they had at that point. Yeah, exactly. Number 15, number uh, November 11th, Boise State 59, Colorado State 52. I did not watch this game. <laughs> I saw that they were down 28 to 3 and thought, come on, boy, because this was still like they, they had won a few games in a row after that disappointing start, losing that game, getting blown out by Virginia and all that. Um, but there, I still wasn't, you know, nobody was really trusting Boise State just yet. And then they fall down 28 3. You're like, man, that, what is like they, they are missing something and then suddenly it was in overtime um that it was a lovely comeback it was the comeback that oklahoma state couldn't quite make although they had a little more time to make it um and you know onside kick and and you know all sorts of things going on here october 7th western michigan 71 buffalo 68 um good god all right is it is it here just because of the ot is it here just because of the uh the high score, like, <laughs> like put a little sizzle on this for me. Well, no, oh, this was definitely uh, aided by the OTs. There was a late uh, last second field goal or like a 30 seconds left to send the game to OT. Um, you know, the Buffalo has like three games on this list. They knew how to, how to make things pretty dramatic this year, but no, this was, um, there was a really good uh, piece recently. Oh, I think it was ESPN. Uh, one of their baseball writers basically said like, what happens if one day we have like a hundred inning baseball game? Like yeah. he, he was kind of just feeling out like, you know, the limits of when we go from, okay, this thing just needs to end to, I hope this never ends. Like did the Isner Mahu- do this one time. Huh? I feel like John Boyce did that one time. Oh, uh, I don't know. It feels like John Boyce has done something <laughs> like a, a game that's gone a hundred innings testing the limits of human existence. Uh, But this was, I mean, at some point, like in the second or third, the third or fourth overtime, you're like, man, I hope this lasts 20 overtimes. Uh, But no, it was the best part about this. And I wrote this in the piece. This was only 15 minutes longer than Bedlam. And it went seven overtimes. Oh man. Is this how we want the game to be played? Are are we keeping you up here? No, 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 no. That was me feigning a sigh that like the, the whole complaining of like, is this how we want the game to be played? Um, don't get defensive, number 13. Um, I will get that. Look, I'm going to argue on this one. USF 38, uh, Texas Tech 34 in the Birmingham Bowl. Uh, did you front load this because of the cool ending? Because I don't remember it being that great. Oh, the fourth quarter was incredible. The entire fourth quarter was incredible. Uh, it was only 13th because only the, the fourth quarter and part of the third quarter was worth watching. The first half was terrible. So it did get penalized for that. Um, but no, when you when you have that ending, I mean, that was basically Alabama, Georgia. The first two or three quarters of that game was pretty bad, too. Um, but no, when you end it the way that one did, you're going to place pretty high on the list. Number 12 from December 23rd. I wrote this. Uh, another bowl with a great ending. Army 42, San Diego State 35. Um there's a junk touchdown in there. So it's actually a closer game um, in the very, in the very end. Yes. Um, so what I wrote basically was like, unlike the commander in chief games where we lock in on the service academies, the pageantry, the history, the da, 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 da. this is just like an army program as a, just take the name army off football program. A that has been abysmal in the, as a G five independent for a, a very long time. 
really making the best statement I think that they've made under Jeff Munkin in that they beat a really good team. It has nothing to do with academies or option. San Diego State, very good team. They beat them. They came back. They drove 72 yards. Like It was an awesome fourth-quarter drive to watch, especially in terms of what balance – what what the option can offer in terms of balance and being able to move the ball and and it's it's it went against stigma you know like maybe <laughs> I, I think you fire this game on to a critic of that op, of, of the option offense and say like this is what it can do i i just love this game because this was everybody played to type hey rashad penny go do rashad penny things look amazing hey army go fill a good defense with uh frustration and consternation and pull off a last second a perfect pitch to win the game uh in the last minute and and all that it was just perfect and and then of course like the 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 junk touchdown where the would like they pick off a lateral and take it back to win instead of 36 35 30 uh, 42 35 uh like it was just a it, you just had a smile it was just a smile at this a wonderful little game I'm watching kind of same thing. And again, if there weren't too many bowl games, this one wouldn't have existed. Oh, absolutely. Either. No, this is another great defense for like just really fun. I only got to see the third and fourth quarter. We were on the road headed to family. And then when I got there, I was like, all right, I want to watch the whole, I want to watch the rock. I was like, I want to see the whole thing. Um, I don't know if I actually got to, I probably had to watch Paw Patrol. Number 11. Uh, <laughs> I watched this game. UCF 62, Memphis 55. This is the AAC championship game in December 2nd. Um, here's the with a game like this i'm trying like the lasting memory i have um that isn't just ot i remember memphis looking like they were going to not only come back but blow them out yeah yeah anthony miller caught fire yeah yeah. Yeah, anthony miller started making incredible plays it looked like that was going to make the difference that was probably the only thing i remember that wasn't the ot itself yeah, UCF at the. I mean, they were so ridiculous the first two months of the year, but the AAC caught up to them late. USF obviously a game we haven't talked about yet for a reason, uh, and then Memphis the second time around figures some things out, uh, goes on a twenty four seven run, uh, really changes that game and makes it a full on more than sixty minutes kind of test. But you see, UCF survived, and then they got some rest, and then they went and beat the SC, uh, beat an SEC team for the national title. Top ten, Bill. Here we go. We're going to close out the show with this. You ready? I promise I won't be too critical. Uh, number ten. Uh, saw this game. I don't know what I can say about that. Like, I, I don't know what I can say about this game. But like, gross all the way around. But we always have to have a hail mary in the top. No, I'm, no. This is so. I'm just going to contradict myself now. This is a game where the the ending absolutely. I, I'm always a ramifications person outside, like outside impact, because I'm not an X's and O's reporter. I'm not a stats guy. Like, I I'm always looking for like larger narrative off the field issue. This game did a lot. Uh, Florida 26, Tennessee 20. This game changed a lot of things for a lot of people in the Southeastern Conference and did it in a truly unexpected way. I I guess. I mean, both of these teams were super fragile and they were going to break down no matter what. But um, it certainly hastened Tennessee's breakdown. Well, I think people might push back on what I just said because McElwain ends up getting fired as well. But there's a psychology at play. Maybe it's just because I live in Tennessee. Um, losing this game again the way they did um i think it affected everything i think it affected the way the the i mean you're gonna think i'm crazy but i think it it affects the way that philip fulmer is now back in power at the university of tennessee because they hang their merits on these just this handful of qualifiers and florida's one of them um it was a big damn deal and in a way butch was dead the moment this happened i will say if you've ever wanted to see a coach 
take responsibility. And I'm going to couch this in saying like, yes, I know this person. No, I'm not trying to kiss his ass. I don't really care. But now Mississippi State defensive coordinator, then Tennessee yeah. DC, Bob Shoup. It going in the next week at media availability, it's one of the few things that Butch was smart about when dealing with their the, the forward-facing aspect of the program, like PR. Bob sits down with the media and explains exactly what happened and why and then assumes full responsibility for what is obviously an on-field gaffe in the coverage that they had for the play. It is is sharp. I wish more football coaches would act this way. I know they're all capable of giving this kind of information. And then at the very same, in the very same second, this is college football standing up and taking responsibility and not saying, not saying like, Oh, we didn't execute. Right. We didn't execute. And and then uh, the fans like they choked, they choked, they blew it. Like there is a technical explanation for just about everything. And it's always fun getting to hear it. By the way, something fascinating to me that we will end up talking about at some point, Bob Shoup, now a former Penn State defensive coordinator, uh, now uh, working with a former Penn State offensive coordinator. The two of them left uh, State College very different. Um, Ships in the night, too. They never worked together. Very different relationships with their, their former university. Um, very interesting situation there. Anyway. The same day, because I watched both of these endings in the Vanderbilt press box as I was doing the That's K-State right. game. Um, the same day, USC 27, Texas 24. Um, we've kind of forgotten about this game. It kind of fell by yeah, the there wayside. There was a lot, like a lot of people in our, in the polls that we had set up uh, for the all American team and best game and all that. This got a lot of best game of the year votes. And this was before the national title, the playoff and everything. But, uh, and then when I, before the top 10 was revealed, there were a lot of people saying USC, Texas better be top five. And it was uh, really, that it was a really good game. Vote, it was a, I know it was a good game game it really was but i i was very confused by that like this wasn't like all-time classic it was just a really good game where's a fumble sorry i did it again it's a fumble that creates a field goal like it's not it's not the dramatic walk-off you know um national title like no it was really good down the side i don't know yeah i i kind of share your thoughts on that again mine being impact this is at least proof of concept for herman but the Getting up for big games was never the critique against Herman. No. And it's not something that's going to satisfy the Texas fan base by saying we only lost to USC by three in LA. That's not going to work, but it is something uh, to build from. I want to talk a lot about Texas this offseason, if you can't tell. <laughs> Number eight. Hey there. What you doing up here, Ohio, Iowa State? Almost said Ohio. Um, Iowa State 38, Oklahoma 31. This game was fun. It was just cool. Yeah. This was a pure cruise control game. Oklahoma goes up. They think, all right, we got it. Backup quarterback. We're up 14 points uh, on to Texas. And when Iowa State thought back, oh, you just couldn't ever. Like the last couple of possessions, they had full-on deer in headlights uh, on offense with Baker Mayfield. They, they had no idea what they wanted to do. Uh, they got the ball back with like two minutes left and had, they, were, they were too lackadaisical at, at first. And then it was suddenly like fourth and long. And they're like, oh, crap, what's going on? It, it, they just never could get their brains wrapped back into this game. And Iowa State just kept coming at them. It's it great. So just like everyone would expect, we're about to spend some time in Iowa in the top 10 for three yeah. games. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I even do a podcast with you. Um, now, all of these games are awesome. Number seven, uh, September 23rd, watched every second of this game. Um, Penn State 21, Iowa 19. This is probably the night, too, where most of America discovered the whole waving children's hospital thing, which is like yeah. one of the best things in sports this year. 
But um, this was described to me at someone at Penn State a couple weeks later before the Michigan game is that was a game where we were constantly on their terms, in their house, playing their style of football, and we were just able to escape free for a couple seconds and make a couple Penn State plays. And I was like, that's a really good way to sum it up, essentially. Iowa Iowa makes you play Iowa football in Iowa, and most often that's going to kill you. Yeah, this was a lot like Mississippi State, Alabama, in that the ending came up real fast. Like yeah. it, it, it was just, um, it was a pretty fast moving game. Penn State outgained them by like three hundred yards, and and had a few different chances to put them away, but couldn't. And then I, uh, you know, um, uh, crap. Uh, uh, help! Help! Th- help! What? God, I was running back who who had too long. My God, uh, Wadley, Akron Wadley had two big gains in the fourth quarter. And yeah, it, it all set up to be an Iowa upset at home. Uh, and then they went and won the game on the final play anyway. It was great. Numero six. Alasico. Ah, you put Alasico in the top 10. Iowa 44. Because it was a top 10 game. Iowa 44, Iowa State 41. Watch this one at a tailgate. It was uh, it was beautiful. It was perfect tailgate football. I did not watch Elastico this year. Um, I just, you know, what's funny though is I do remember thinking like, oh man, I was gonna suck this year because I gave up forty one to Iowa State. These, <laughs> this is that right there is why Jason Kirk and you constantly like like f- hold my hands down from making big proclamations on, in blog posts in the month of September. Like <laughs> Oregon's defense is back and stuff like that. Um. No, I remember thinking like, man, pff, God, I was ass. They gave up 41 to ISU. I, I mean, we weren't supposed to know that, though. I feel like, you know, that's not too embarrassing. No, um, no, this was great. This is great. Number five. Um, you know, 31-3 A&M over UCLA. Kevin Sumlin era is saved. I mean, here's the thing. We just got done talking about, like, does the fact that, like, McIlwain getting fired and Butch getting fired. Does that, does that lessen the impact and the relevance of that 26, 20 game UCLA 45, Texas A&M 44. It doesn't mean anything. It, it was just fun, I guess. No. Yeah. Yes. I, like, I will maintain that this in, in Florida, Tennessee are in the same boat in that regard, but uh, no, regardless, this is, this is a much more fun game to watch soup to nuts. Like, oh, yeah, oh yeah. Actually going through, this is way more fun to watch. Yeah, and there, there's both of these coaches. Their fate was sealed, regardless. Um, I, think, I mean, someone. What's funny is someone actually did a better. I, I thought he coached pretty well this year because I mean they had you know two freshman quarterbacks, a lot of just a lot of instability just in their two deep because mm-hmm. he didn't craft his two deep as well as in previous years. Uh, but it, but they he dragged them to eight wins and and it would have been nine if not for this one. Um, I, I actually thought he coached pretty well, but his fate was sealed, and it just was. You have a moment in this game in which it doesn't really matter who won, both. Both fan bases felt reinforced in their of, in their criticism of their incumbent coach. Right. You know, right. which is a strange place to be. Number four, um, I wrote I I wrote this one, uh, October twenty eighth, Ohio State thirty nine, Penn State thirty eight. I watched this with two children on a plane. Beat that. I watched it from my recliner, live blogging it. <laughs> um, I had been at Penn State the week before. I don't want to like sit here and go say, "Oh, I saw this coming," but there was an over-reliance in certain instances of the big play to connect Penn state drives in key moments instead of like what you would, I don't want to mince your words and your terminology, but instead of, instead of consistent and methodical drives of like X amount of four to six to eight yard per plays, like 
Penn State was living and really, really making their trade off of the big play. And against a, I mean, this was a JT Barrett moment. I actually wrote about JT Barrett, not really about Penn State's offense, but it was a combination thereof in the fourth quarter of like, this was a JT Barrett game that was unlike really any other. I mean, I can think of off the top of my head. I don't consider USC to be the same caliber, but this was just ridiculous. And Penn State's offense had enough tiny cracks to be exposed at the right moment. Yeah, Penn State was infinitely more efficient this year overall than they were last year. This was less of a high wire act this time around. But when their national title hopes were in the balance, and and granted, I mean, if they had beaten Michigan State, they'd have been right back in the conversation. But um, their national title hopes were in the balance, and their offensive line got its lunch eaten by Ohio State's defensive line. And they they just couldn't free uh, Barkley after the first quarter or maybe the second quarter. I don't remember where, like, kind of his last big moment was. Um, But you had that aspect. And then you just had – I was talking about turning into Woody Hayes when they have a lead. What's – frustrating is like moments like this jt barrett had to keep making plays into the fourth quarter and he did um and and that always frustrates me like i mean urban meyer has has figured out the you know the the risk-free approach like we're up we're up two touchdowns i'm packing it in um in against good opponents anyway and um when they had to keep making plays they did and it was a beautiful thing to watch and they spent themselves because then they went to iowa city the next week and got drubbed Drubbed. All right, number three. The war on I-4. Uh, I got to see this game the previous season was not nearly as compelling as this. <laughs> um, UCF 49, USF 42. I saw. I actually just saw the highlights of this game, but I do think that you can sort of read about it and Spencer wrote about it and understand it. And, of course, everything that happens with UCF and the undefeated season, like, you get it. You get it. Yeah, um, no, this was a this is a beautiful like first of all it was it was the game on and so all of Twitter all of the people you follow on Twitter are watching this game at the same time um, and you know USF ties it and everybody's going crazy it's a beautiful thing and then UCF returns uh, you know scores like ten seconds later to go back up ahead it's just a great game to be on Twitter. Number two and number one, I want to do these together because. Um... I don't want to challenge you on this because I would I, I would go either way, and I think I would probably could easily be talked into settling the way you went one two on this. All right, um, I know you, and I know like you, you preached this, especially once the matchup was known on this show specifically about how kind of fatigued we felt about an all SEC title game matchup. We didn't know we didn't expect to get what we got right. So at number two, you have the national championship game, Alabama twenty six, Georgia twenty three, and then at number one, you have the Rose Bowl. Georgia 54, Oklahoma 48. Um, what was the difference in shaking this out to one? Uh, OU Georgia was compelling for four quarters and okay. plus overtime. Okay. The end. Uh, you know, Georgia, Alabama, the whole first half was God, Alabama's <laughs> offense is terrible. And that was like, that was it. We were, we were frustrated uh, for the first half of the Alabama Georgia game. The, even when Oklahoma was sprinting out to an early lead, there was tension. Uh, there was, you, you knew that Georgia had the capability of coming back at halftime. It did not look like Alabama even slightly had the capability of coming back. So really it just comes down to one game was compelling for four to five hours, whatever that ended up being. And the other game was compelling for about an hour and a half. Here's why I'll push back 
Nothing because the, the, the national title winning play was a second and long 41 yard bomb. That was amazing. And there's a case to be made. Not at all. It's a couple personal things here. When I was at AFCA, so I was around football coaches. All right. So just keep that in mind too. There is I, I like, I don't do this because I think it's funny or like I'm creating a self meme. There are a lot of parallels to the Super Bowl for Georgia and Falcons fans. Right. And I remember <laughs> sitting there thinking the same thing because I, I know a lot of like my Falcons fans who are UGA grads. And I just remember thinking like, I don't give a rip about Georgia in that sense, but I just remember thinking like, Oh man, Oh man, this feels a certain way <sighs> now. Keep, so combine that with the moments that we were, that we sort of considered to be boring, at least in comparison to the Rose bowl, kind of like the middle, the gut of the, of the national title game. So like second quarter, we all are kind of like, ah, you know, this is a, like, maybe this is, I put it this way. A lot of fans are saying command, you know, command performance by Georgia. They've shut down all Alabama's offense. What are they going to do? This is coronation. I, I hate to be a douchebag and constantly bring up the Super Bowl, but I just remember thinking like, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. They haven't done anything to effectively put this away. They're just ahead. They're just ahead. And what is he going to do at halftime? There's no way they come out and do the same thing. Then second, maybe, maybe drive and a half of Georgia's into the third quarter on offense and they've made the switch at quarterback on on offense for Alabama. So I don't know exactly what minute of the game this is. I'm recalling this off the top of my head. Every coach that I'm with, even coaches that I'm not really with in this restaurant, all start saying Alabama's going to win this football game. <laughs> and, and they hadn't shown it yet. You hadn't seen the effect. Like Tua had not exploded yet. But it was weird. It was like I used to work in professional wrestling and you would stand backstage and, and wrestlers would be able to watch things on the monitor and know that someone was injured before the move, the wrestling move was even like a third of the way done. <laughs> they can see things faster and better and different. And they, they, they have a, a, a cognitive precognitive ability and football coaches are the same damn way because they're looking at things like stunts, shifts, blocks, gaps, and they're processing it faster than we are. And they're seeing, Oh, that guard's tired. They're seeing things we're not, and they every coach in this like bar restaurant that I was in in Charlotte, and I wasn't really talking to them so much, but like the one the one or two coaches that I was with were sitting there, and they were like, "Alabama's going to win this football game." Now, counterpoint. Okay. Um, so those were compelling narratives to for me. Now, Joe on his couch in America may have not had that luxury. I understand that. So counterpoint, um, I didn't get to go to AFCA this year, grumble, grumble, but I did last year. I was watching in a Nashville bar as every coach in the bar, the restaurant was cheering loudly for Clemson. Um, <laughs> coaches are also fans and yes. fans are paranoid. And so when you're a paranoid fan, you're looking for the moment. Oh, this is about to, this is about to fall apart. I can just tell they are our fans. And I think part of what you saw was them going, Oh God, Alabama's going to win. Uh, and, and not necessarily I mean, a I little think, bit of that, but but I'm telling you, they were looking at they were looking at Tua establish himself. Oh yeah, Georgia doing same. You know, Georgia got into ain't broke, ain't broke. It's, I it's a weird side. There's something about being a team in a major setting and being Alabama versus being Georgia and Alabama, which you've been in every type of scenario you can be in, pretty much a national title at this point, right? Because this was the last scenario for them to be down big. Right. They've been in they blew out Notre Dame. They they went punch for punch with Clemson. They, you know, had a freak thing happen against Texas. And I know these aren't the same players, but it is the same head coach and largely it's the same people and apparatus around him and he's all about consistency. So they know these things. I do feel like maybe not the moment getting too big, but it, Georgia wasn't ready to go. Here's fourth gear. 
coming in the second second half, here's how we maintain a lead, and here's how we go extra wrinkle on offense and defense to maintain that lead. I don't think that was there. So uh, the if you okay, so I would like to quiz the coaches you saw because if they were saying Alabama's going to win before Raquan Davis's interception, I'm not sure I believe it. I need to know what they saw because at that point, you know, two ahead, two ahead, led a touchdown drive, and then they immediately respond with the 80 yard bomb, and then they pick off like Tua makes that terrible misread, throws the interception. Yeah. The game is on uh, again uh, on on Georgia's racket, so to speak. Uh, they're they're like the Alabama 40 up 20 to seven at that moment. Moment, it was just about over uh, and then Jake Fromm throws a helmet a, a ball off of hands helmet or however that played out um, or Payne's helmet and uh, that you know Alabama gets a field goal and for that moment forward it was it was a game but if they were saying like you know before that interception that this game Alabama's got this game won I I am still going to maintain they were full of crap Wow. I'll, go, I'll go back and add some of those guys. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Let me know. All right. Uh, that's our list. That's your list. We all chipped in and wrote a little bits and pieces there. Um, you feel good about the list? You feel like you would change anything now that we've gone through and picked it apart by every game? The one thing I, I, I will say about this list is, you know, I, I think the impression a lot of people were left with was, oh, this season kind of sucked. Um they're just generally maybe it was because Alabama won. I don't know. But uh, I saw a lot of that, like, how are you going to pick 100 games this year? College football, give college football 800 games, 800 plus games, and there are going to be 100 pretty incredible also, games. We, and the top we 15, pay Bill to pay attention to Buffalo and Western Michigan, and you probably don't do that. So he's going to know. No, it's not, it, wasn't, it wasn't Buffalo, Western Michigan. Everybody saw that game because it went to overtime. It was it was the other Buffalo games. That's right. <laughs> that's, where multiple, multiple, that's where I make my money. Because there were multiple Buffalo games on this countdown. Right. All right, Bill. No, the, it was it was great. It was a it was a fun year. It wasn't the best college football year, but it was a good year. It always is because you know you're asking nineteen year old men to do to play with a pointy football and and weird things are going to happen. And I'm fine with a little humble pie on really loudly bemoaning the state of the entire sport going into that title game. We got a good game for the record. I do think that everything's trending in a bad direction, and you know I'm still pretty grumpy about it all. But like we got an entertaining football game, and I did not think that that would happen. So, Bill. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and say it right now. Next week, no topics. I'll ask PAPN. How about that? We'll go the whole show, okay. load them up. We had a bunch of good ones this week. We didn't get to it because we had a bunch of other stuff to get to. But hey, guess what? It is January. It is January. <laughs> we'll have to- we, just have an, we just had an overloaded, over 90-minute show in mid-January. Uh, this is the best time of year for college football. Didn't you know that? Late January. All right, we'll yes. see you next week.